Today's program is brought to you by the Museum of Food and Drink, sparking curiosity about food with exhibits you can eat. For more information, visit mofad.org. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Shalom, hubba hubba. This is Kimberly Chow. And I'm Amanda Dell. We're Food Book Fair, and this is Recommended Reading on Heritage Radio Network. We're coming to you live today from the back of Roberta's Pizza at Heritage Radio Network, and we will be joined later by our very special guest, Julian Richards, a dear friend, veteran photo agent, decorative brontosaurus of Table on Ten. That lady out there is picking food out of her teeth with the side of her check. <laughs> We told you. He's already, Julian is already in the building. Hey, you know what? She has no idea that we can see. We told you that That's, people, can, you can't really see. Or we gives the they illusion. They can't see in? Man. It's tinted. I want to go and tell her. It's tinted. All right, keep going. If you ever come on our radio show... <laughs> Guys, or if you're at Roberta's and you're sitting at the table that's right next to the Heritage Radio booth, don't apply your makeup, mm, don't, don't pick stuff out of your teeth, because if Julian's here or someone he's gonna, else, he's he'll gonna call talk you about on that. So don't just play be with aware. yourself. Wear it's a, underwear. <laughs> it's a two-top. <laughs> Definitely so wear underwear, because I'm looking... Str- be aware. We're looking at everything. Yeah. But before we uh, get into more of that, unless Julian runs out to take that lady's check out of her teeth. <laughs> she's gone, she's gone. Amanda and I are going to ask each other what we're reading, watching, and listening to to kick off the show. Yeah. Amanda, what are you reading? <laughs> Thanks, Kim. <laughs> Julian, there's no laughing. That was a very smooth transition. There's, well, yeah, no, there's no laughing on recommended reading, by the way. <laughs> so stop. I, I'm reading funny stuff. Um, well, first I'll start off by talking about a book that somehow passed me by, but I, I, I can't remember where I was reading about it, but it's like the next up in my queue as soon as I get it. Um, It's written by a man named Shep Gordon. And it's the name of the book is They Call Me Supermensch. And I guess Shep Gordon is like an an OG talent manager and Mm. did a lot of stuff with with musicians, but also was kind of the person that was was credited with creating like a quote unquote TV chef. Mm. Um, So I have this book on order, and I'm very, very anxiously awaiting it, and I'm really hoping that I get to dive into it uh, this weekend. I mean, I'm obsessed with menches in general, and then this person's a super mensch. I've, I've never heard that category before, so Easy. I'm, in, I'm enthralled. <laughs> I want to be enthralled by this book, so I can't wait for that to arrive and to start reading it. If any of our, if anyone's listening out there and they have read this book, they like it, they want to talk about it, tweet at us at Food Book Fair, share photos of the book on Instagram and tag us. And I want to know kind of what, what everyone thought of this book. And then maybe next week I'll, I'll weigh in on it. Or you could just not read it. if they all... That will never happen. I will read it. I've already put my mind to it, so I have to read it. Kim, so. what are you reading? <laughs> I'm reading too much okay. and not the mood Kim, by Target Chubos. Are you worried about Julian like taking our job? I I am. Julian has his. That's a laugh track. <laughs> Julian actually Thanks, has his David. own radio show. Thank you, DJ Dave, in the booth with us today. Julian has his own radio show uh, in upstate New York, broadcasting out of Roxbury. That's true. Called the Evening Tickla. It is. What are you reading? What am I reading? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. he's already got a, another radio show job. But if it, <laughs> I'm scared. I, I'm heading off in that direction in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm, reading, I'm reading Too Much and Not the Mood by Durga Chubos, which is a book of essays by a writer that I've admired for a long time. Um, and I'm now obsessed with her. I hope she's listening or maybe not listening. Um, but there's this incredible, there's this, the first essay. It's like 80 pages long and it's called Heart Museum. And there's this one scene about 
It's about her relationship with a, a best friend and, and the walks that they go on, and they get their auras photographed in Chinatown. And there's this one particular moment where she remembers a bright green pea soup. And that is sort of the locus for other parts of that sense memory. And I will read a little bit of it. You're going to read? I'm going to read a little bit. Oh, had I known, I would have brought, the, I brought some dirty limericks show. with me. You can still look some up. Yeah. But in the meantime... My own. Come up with one now. So one Monday afternoon, when my friend had a day off, we ambled from Midtown to Magic Jewelry, stopping on the way for pea soup. A detail I cannot forget, because the pea soup was bright, bright green. Unnaturally so. It's something we both noticed and continued to address with each spoonful, because even the deepest friendships are liable to remark on the color of soup. Green, we said as if it were slime. Delicious goo that seemed to establish our day as one to remember, because from now on, bright green reminds me of the soup, which reminds me of my friend's gold dress that she was wearing with black tights, and how somewhere on Canal we dropped a letter for another friend in a freshly painted mailbox, and how later my friend ordered apple-flavored sorbet and me tiramisu. And at night, we ate a box of Thin Mints while she read my tarot, and then, as it happens, we talked about a boy who was once in a band. Hmm. I love it. Have we ever eaten anything that green together? Anything what? That green? Yeah. Salad at Roberta's. <laughs> it is pretty green these days. Hey, did you enjoy your pasta that we had just before? It was delicious. It was good? Yeah. Yeah. It was, good. It was yeah. very al dente. It was very al dente. Really yeah. specifically al dente. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That was good. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's what I'm reading right now. And I'm just Ooh. churning through. Uh, well, I have one other. Food specific, it looks like. Uh, it is pretty, recommended it reading. Is, it is pretty food specific, considering the word food is plastered in large letters right on the front cover. Um, Tell us about it. It is the latest issue of the Village Voice, which is the food issue. So the Village Voice, it's still so exciting to me because it's completely free. So this is some, um, you know, this particular issue is all about food and what you want to do is is look for those like red boxes on on the corn on the street corners if you don't know now you know those contain the village voice and it's a completely free newspaper there's so many things about this issue that i thought were great one i thought this front cover was totally rad and i'm almost positive it was shot by our friend no effects because um, I think he shot some of the inside of it as well, and it is of uh, Chef April Bloomfield and the other chef owners of White Gold, the butcher shop on the Upper West Side. Um, so there's an article about them. Um, there's a really cool article about the best bodegas in New York with also some beautiful photography, like bodegas that make their own paletas and have their own regional specialties based on you know where they are are in New York. So I thought that was super neat. Who um, makes their own paletas? Um, all right, you're going to make me flip through. That wasn't the part I was going to talk about. You weren't but, ready, were you? But I'm not ready. You've got to remember that detail. Maybe you should take your okay, question here. back or it's ask called, a different one. Okay, it's called... <laughs> <laughs> it's called Slay Deli. It's, it's spelled S-E-L-S-L-E-Y. So, I mean, hey, Slay, Slee. Mm. Seems like they slay. Where is it? Uh, it's in Fort, Ham- Fort Hamilton Parkway, Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, it says these Mexican popsicles are made in small batches in the back of the family run bodega and distributed throughout the year to other stores around the city. Pineapple and mango versions are given a slightly spicy, smoky complexity with the help of added chilies. So, I mean, and the the packaging is just so unique and cool. So if you're ever up in that way in Brooklyn at Slee Slay Deli. <laughs> They're clearly slaying the Paletas game. Um, but the one other part that I wanted to read about this issue, just try to pick it up. Find this red box on the street corner and get you get your village. I voice. love that Amanda Dell is talking about the analog on internet radio. Totally. Totally. Um, you know, I I appreciate the digital, but also love the analog. Well, radio is the um, is is the vinyl of social media. <laughs> so you can quote ooh, me on that. That's true. You can quote that's me true. On All that. right, that's yeah. quotable. Hey, I might have just come up with that. Hey, he oh, <laughs> was waiting for that. Really? <laughs> There's going to be a lot of applause and laugh track on the show. Why today. is he listening? <laughs> <laughs> that's, his, that's his job, Julian. Oh, right, 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 right. Um, 
there is an article about Chef Angie Marr and Beatrice Inn mm. that was written by our friend Jamie Feldmar that hey, Jamie. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Um, and, you know, Chef Angie, if you're out there, we'd love to have you in the show one time. Um, I really enjoyed getting this inside take on one, how you kind of accepted the job at Beatrice Inn, what, you know, what that was about, and then eventually how you bought out the partners and how you're making it your own. So this was the part that um, I really, I really, really loved when she was asked about, you know, essentially that some of the, the former partners or other people that were involved kept asking her to be a part of the restaurant and she really didn't want to. Mm. So she said, I didn't want the job, says Mar. I called my good friend, famed meat distributor Pat Lafreda, and said, no one wants this restaurant, and they keep calling me. If I do this, it's career suicide. He told me I'd be crazy if I did and crazy if I didn't. His point was that if I could come in and turn the place around, it would make my career. So that just, you know, made me think about hard decisions, what it takes and having, you know, kind of having that long view a little bit and taking a leap of faith. Um, So anyway, pick up this issue of the Village Voice. You can read, you know, all about Beatrice Inn or as Angie likes to call it, the bee. So hope maybe we'll uh, run into you guys at the bar at Beatrice Inn one day. Also makes me think of why anyone would ever get into this industry. It is pretty crazy. We'll talk a little bit about that, as well as politics, pleasure, the raft of the Medusa. Why people get into the food industry? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well. Hmm. Well, there'll be some shit talking after the break. But first, the break. Oh, there's a break? Yeah. We gotta pay the bills around here, Julian. We gotta get people to... Head over to heritageradionetwork.org. And what you want to be looking for is that beating heart. And Julian, we talked a lot about hearts before. If you click on the beating heart at heritageradionetwork.org, you can make a donation. Keep shows like Recommended Reading and other fabulous shows on heritageradionetwork.org by pledging and making that donation. What's that, the break? It hasn't happened quite yet. <laughs> Do, you- <laughs> Do you want me to sing something? Uh. Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues on the Heritage Radio Network. We all know and love Chinese takeout dishes like General Tso's chicken and egg rolls. But here's the thing. Even though we call it Chinese food, it's not like the food you'd find in China. What's the story behind this cuisine? And how did it become so popular that you can find a Chinese-American restaurant in nearly every town in the country? The answers may surprise you. Visit the Museum of Food and Drink in Brooklyn and see our newest exhibition, Chow, Making the Chinese-American Restaurant. Chow engages visitors with compelling accounts of how Chinese immigrants overcame racism and created Chinese-American cuisine. Discover the science behind the flavors of your favorite takeout dishes, feast on rotating tastings developed by the country's most talented Chinese-American chefs, and try your hand at writing your own fortune, which will be baked into actual cookies by a 1,500-pound fortune cookie machine. What better way to learn, connect, and eat? You can visit Chow at the Museum of Food and Drink on Fridays through Sundays from noon to 6. Tickets and more information can be found at mofad.org. Hello, welcome back. This is Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair. We are live coming at you from Heritage Heritage Radio Network out of the back of Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. We're here with Julian Richards, Mm. veteran photo agent, uh, (laughs) wayward restaurateur. Antique. Antique. Yes. Community radio host. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Poetry lover. Yes. Opera buff. It's all true. Traveler. Yes. 
Julian, you really need to learn how to form an opinion. I oh. mean, just speaking to you for, for... You mean I'm extremely opinionated? <laughs> <laughs> hey, 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 you know what? I mean, there are not enough opinions. You know, there are not enough opinions out there. Well, you know what? There's all kinds of opinions. But, um, you know, you need a well-placed opinion. We need more well-placed opinions. Being opinionated is not such a terrible thing, is it? Not at all. How about being opinionated and trying to be funny and then being prepared to say, well, my opinions might all be wrong? Which I'm not prepared to say. You're not. But, I mean, that would be a generous form of being opinionated. (laughs) I I do think you're pretty funny. Well, that's nice. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) We're going to get into some of what we've told our listeners that we would say we would get into. But first, maybe we should ask you what you're reading. Well, you know what? I... Reading. Uh, or watching or listening to. You know, I do a lot less reading than I once did because <clears throat> I f- there was a point in my life where, some, where a lot of drama went down. Mm. And at that point, I'd always read a lot of fiction and stuff up until mm-hmm. that point. And at that point, I found that the drama of my own life was outweighing the the drama that I was like I wasn't able to actually invest in anybody else's fictional story because the pressing nature of my non-fictional story <laughs> was so pressed against the inside of my cranium that there was no space for anybody's stupid uh, half-baked storyline and so I got out of the habit of reading fiction um and then I never really got back into the habit what have I been reading I've been reading all about Auschwitz <laughs> sounds, sounds uplifting. Yeah, La- laugh track, Dave. No, because because <laughs> me and Winnie, me and my daughter went and did this whole journey. Can you tell us about that? I can. Yeah, I was just about to. Um, we went and did this whole journey where we found this girl. Uh, my daughter's eighteen years old, so it's a final year project in a tiny little school where she has six people in her grade in the middle of the Catskills. And so we had to do. So we decided we're going to do the story, or she decided she's going to do the story on this girl, Vitorina Levy who uh, was um, Venice has the first ghetto that ever existed. Um, And she was deported from the ghetto in 1943 and uh, shipped to a camp in um, Emilia-Romagna called Fossili and then taken to Auschwitz. And then her story vanished completely. So, But she was exactly the same, not exactly the same age. She was 18 and Winnie's 18. So we decided that we'd try and dig, a ba- dig that story back up and then mm. follow her journey, the exact journey that she did on the same train tracks and on the same dates. Wow. Uh, which mm. we did. So I had to do lots and lots of reading about Auschwitz, but not even, not even necessarily. It was actually really um, academic reading mm. because there's so little information because the Nazis burned all the information, all the personal records when the camp was being liquidated or before the camp was being liquidated. Um, so we had to go in and find out all this information, all kinds of strange stuff. Like she was on, uh, you know, the Italian Jews weren't rounded. Italy was, Italy didn't round up its Jews until the Germans took over. Um, so they're all rounded up together. So the first train out of Fossili, I can't remember which train it was or whatever, but the first train out of Fossili had all of these, had Primo Levi on it. And the beginning of If This Is a Man, which is his, mm-hmm. you know, his seminal book. Um, describes this whole thing. And then we're we're looking at Vitorina's story or whatever, and then we realize she's on exactly the same train. So we're able to transpose his story uh, onto hers. And so when he describes arriving at the Brenner Pass and all this kind of stuff, we're like, well, she's in the next carriage down or Mm. whatever. And all the numbers of how many people survived in his. So that's, at the beginning, she's literally arm in arm with Prima Levi. At the end, she we, we actually found out an odd thing about her at the end, but in, in the end, her sister, only two of her and her sister got taken into the camps. And, uh, and the rest of her family were immediately dead. Um, but at the end, her sister did the, did the death march uh, to the trains that took her to, um, to Bergen-Belsen, which is exactly what Anne and Margot Frank did. Mm. So they started arm-in-arm with Prima Levy and ended up Arm in arm with Margot and Anne Frank, the two iconic figures of the, of the Holocaust. So fun, huh? Yeah. How did? What was the final presentation that your daughter had to create for this project? She did like, some. She did some written stuff, but then she also did a little movie. Oh wow! So we we're okay. filming as we went all the way around, and you know what? It was amazing. It was a hoot. 
It really was. It was a blast because it was um, because the process of discovery and the process of the kind of Agatha Christie side right, of being like, right. oh, my God, I found this mm. is so exi- exciting and exhilarating. Mm. And also you being you're having to go to places that, you know, I mean, when you're a tourist or whatever, you look at the book and you're like, oh, it says there's a really good restaurant in this town. So maybe we should go there. And you, you've got that listless quality of like, you know, tourism is all about breakfast, lunch and dinner. And, and, and ticking some boxes or whatever. Right. This is taking us to weird little towns where, you know, with scrubby bushes having to stay across. Uh, like, nobody's going to go there. So the whole process is immediate and exciting and it was amazing. And also a super bonding experience between father how, and daughter. Yeah, how fun would that be to get to do It was a lot of fun. Like we had a lot of fun. We met um, David and Paul mm-hmm. in, um, in Krakow and they came to Auschwitz and Birkenau with us. Uh, and, and yeah, we had a hoop. That sounds amazing. I want to go back to one one thing, which I think will will. Uh, I recommend Holocaust tourism. It's a. It's a <laughs> you heard it here. First. I could probably write the book. You've heard recommended it, it to me you before. I have. Heard it oh here my god! First. Yes, it's my second Auschwitz trip. I've got a whole. Uh, no, you were going to speak. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I like. I like this. <laughs> <laughs> That's girls giggling. We just I lost about more, half of our listeners. I this wish, keeps happening every week. I wish more girls would gig. I wish I, that was a response that generally when I spoke would happen. Girls giggling. We'll work on that. <laughs> Can you just have like a like a like the Greek chorus uh, follow we, me around and, yeah, giggle, David and giggle? Can, David should just follow you around. And giggle? Your own purple, no, your own your that own might be weird. Hit the little that quiet be storm weird. giggle might button. To, might have to call the police. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> um, no, I think when you... When you said your daughter is in a class with with only six other students, I think the six, yeah. So I think we should we should back up for a minute and let our listeners know that that Julian lives in this a very small town in the Catskills called Bovina. That's true. And small town, but now big reputation. Well, what I don't know. contributed it's to a, that? Uh, well, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I um, it was really yeah. All right. Um, Definitely. What contributed to it? I think more recently, you know, the Catskills were always there and it was always, you know, it's quite a long way away. It's three and a half hours. So uh, From New York City. Yeah. So, you know, realistically, there was always a, um, uh, there was always a kind of barrier of just pure time and attrition. Right. Uh, in, whether you would go or not. I don't know. You know, something happened connected with the food, uh, of course, inevitably connected with the food movement because we've all been up there doing our own thing and a bunch of freaks in this kind of peculiar orbit around New York City but kind of out of reach I mean really even three years ago if you'd mentioned Bovina I was driving around Park Slope today and I saw two of those cars with a B.O.V. sticker yeah I mean we've become everybody knows about it I think Um, so I don't know something happened you know, there'd been a lot of people doing their own freaky things up there for a long time. I think maybe it was kind of galvanized by the food, food mm-hmm. movement a little bit. I mean, it, it kind of was table on 10 a, li- a little bit. And that going, that and a couple of other people maybe projecting a story. I think one thing that hadn't happened up there before is there was a lot of people cooking. There's a lot of people, you know, doing these things that could have been potentially available to people in the city. But there wasn't a whole lot of storytelling going on mm. about it. You know, they were just doing it. What made you move up there? How did you first find out about Bovina? What caused you to, you know, what was your motivation? It was an accident. I mean, I moved up. Uh, I, I rented a couple of places because we wanted to move out. You know, that was still at the time of life when people were try, trying to rent places in the Hamptons. And this and was stuff. about 20 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, about 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, yeah. About when we first started renting. Yeah. And then... Um, and then suddenly I had a little bit of money and I realized that I could buy something and, uh, uh, me and Juliet and the site, you know, we could have, we could have bought a one bedroom apartment in the city or something, but there was some idea that it would just be more exciting to buy something weird in the middle of nowhere that would make you, that wouldn't fit into your life, but would make you uh, move around your life in a different way. Um, and so this house came up in Bovina. I'd never even heard of Bovina. We'd drawn a line at Margreville, which is, you know, two towns before Bovina. Uh, and somebody sent us there, and then we bought it. But, you know, we didn't know anybody. As far as I knew, it turns out not to be the case. But as far as I knew, there was us and a bunch of kind of grizzled guys with beards, and, uh, uh, you know, that was it. And that wasn't the case. There were people hidden, but we didn't see them. 
what did they make of you and your and when when you arrived? You know, there was nothing. Uh, there was nothing. Ag- uh, there was nothing aggressive. They were. Um, I mean, eye rolling. I would say. Okay. And then there was a shift because you moved there full time. So talk to us about that. And, and There's a shift in terms of the, their perception of us when I did No, no, I meant that you. it started as a second, yeah, well, yeah, an yeah, escape. Yeah, yeah, and, but yeah. then something changed yeah. because you moved there full time. That's the process that happens, yeah. Because I think, you know, it's obviously at that distance away, there's a certain amount of schizophrenic quality. Between, you know, by the time you don't even unpack your bags when you arrive up there or when you come back down because you know you have to pack them again and turn around and go back. And, you know, two cats and a dog and one kid, then two kids. And, uh, you know, the Subaru is like a, just a <laughs> giant fart of dog, cat, baby. Um, and, so, and so at a certain point you make a decision. You know, I think probably there was a little drop-off, uh, financial drop-off somewhere along the line. But also just sick of running to and fro. And we'd, lived in, we'd both lived in cities for a long time. And we'd never done that other thing. And also we had enough of a romantic attachment to what it might feel like. Because when you're only up there on the weekends, you're, you're, you're freaking out on Sunday night because you, you don't want to go back to the city. So you're like, well, what if we didn't have to go back to the city? And I did a job that I could do remotely. Um, and, you know, you see the kids going up to the barn and running back down the hill and the chickens and they've got eggs in their hands and all that stuff. And you're like, oh, man, this is it. Little did we know. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. It's not actually a painting. I mean, it appears to be a painting. It's actually the raft of the Medusa. It's actually it's the raft of the Medusa. It's a different painting than Every, you thought any, it would be. Anybody who knows me who just heard the raft of the Medusa is like, oh, no, he's not, not going to do that whole fucking raft it's of the Medusa Bruegel, analogy It's not Bruegel, it's Jericho. Again. Oh, it is Bruegel, Bruegel too. It's, what's that um, painting, Netherlandish of... Um, the Netherlandish proverbs it's totally there with the arse sticking out of the window with a poo coming out of it and the thing and somebody's <laughs> killing this on the floor and somebody's fucking that thing or whatever it's totally there every corner of the canvas is covered with somebody doing all you know what should I stop should I, am I have I completely taken over Keep going. That's why we invited you on the show <laughs> keep going alright but the what was I going to say I was going to say oh yeah one thing that you don't anticipate, I think, moving up to uh, a remote place like that is that, you know, the full range of human emotion ex- and experience has to come out. You know, I mean, you're going to have to do it all. And that was dormant, being in the city? No, no, in the city was happening too. Okay. All I'm saying is, like, in some way, in the process of going up there, you think because it's a smaller, quieter... A more spread out, more peaceful environment, maybe some of the throbbing maelstrom of what it is to be a functional human being and the kind of human beings mm-hmm. that we are will be eased back. Maybe that's part of the reason you even go. You're like, you know what? I'm sick of my brain being pressed against the inside of my skull. Maybe if I went up there, it would shrink down a little bit and I would just enjoy the air coming over and I would suddenly start bird spotting and, um, you know, taking a nice swim. That doesn't happen. You're still the person that you are, so you're still in there being like, who do I love? Uh, what, who am I going to be? What is the story? Why, why am I going to die? What the hell is this all about or whatever? So you've got all of that, but you've got it in this kind of um, wide open environment with very few answers, mm-hmm. unless you go out and shoot something or, or shoot one of your children or your wife <laughs> or, or do whatever. So it's intense. And that's not what you thought you were going for. You thought you were going to, to mitigate intensity. But actually, you find that you're standing up there. Oh, I found, and this is me. Other people might disagree with it, but they'd be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I found that the high-intensity shriek wasn't lessened. I'm still the same person. I'm still like... You know what I mean? But that was intense because now you don't have the interstitial material. You don't get onto the subway and bang into people on some shoulders or whatever that just wears the day off and takes some of the edges off the existential, the, the constant state of existential crisis. That's taken away just by like having to navigate up and down some stairs and someone shouting at you and having to get a sandwich or whatever. You don't have that. You're like the compassionate Buddha, but you're, but you're not Buddha. And after a certain amount of time, you're not compassionate either. You're just kind of freaking out. And then shit starts to go wrong, potentially. I mean, for most people. Because we don't make... You can, you can chip in at any stage and stop me. <laughs> but we don't make second... Um, 
we didn't have backup plans. Mm-hmm. You know, we went up there like, um, like innocent children, like lambs to the slaughter, you know? And you don't make backup plans. So you go up there and you're like, this works if I'm married to you, if my kids are in the beds upstairs, if this whole, you know, if the dog is doing that, this all makes sense as long as we can put this bell, this bell jar over it mm-hmm. and it stays within this kind of Arcadian dream. Mm. Something really simple, like someone saying, I don't think I love you anymore, puts a schism down the middle of that. And you're like, well, what do I do with this? To quote Laurie Moore, this is how your life changes. Somebody tells you something. Right. But hey, but in the city, look, that's catastrophic in the city. All those Mm -hmm. things are catastrophic in the city. But if you have put yourself in a, a rarefied environment that you are not naturally maybe habituated to, Mm-hmm. Because we're not. We're not the locals. The locals have a different way of solving these problems that I was just talking about, which is, I think in a lot of cases, they just choose not to think about them. Like if I would go and talk to certain people in Russell's and say, well, you know, my way, they'd be like, why are you waking up in the morning wondering whether you, whether you love your wife or not? Just take certain things for granted. Right. Go out, do the job, come back, have a couple of beers, watch a movie, go to bed. That's how you're going to survive. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not enough for me because I need to know if she's the right one or this is the right one, you know. Mm -hmm. But then you're tying yourself in knots, but you're tying yourself in knots in an environment that you are not a natural in. Mm -hmm. And then when it breaks, then you find yourself without the sanctuary of whatever it was that you moved up in that that was going to glue it all together. Mm -hmm. With no backup plan. And then you're just a free radical bouncing off the trees. Right. So we spoke earlier about... A change in in Bovina and you know potentially other in the Western Catskills, yes, towns over the past two or three years yeah. about whether it's more people mo- moving up there permanently, more people buying second homes, different types of people coming up, and also a big shift in that the, sound the, is the, Julian. I love P. that the quote unquote. <laughs> the quote unquote. That's that's my colostomy bag that I had to oh. just give a quick squeeze. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. David's still listening. <laughs> you haven't... You haven't <laughs> I have more monologues in me, David. And, uh, and also the food scene, whatever yeah. that means. Yeah. And, and talk to us a little bit about that and about... I'm interested just as a, a tried and true New Yorker, but mm. also someone that spent time in the country. I spent mm. a lot of my childhood actually in the Poconos at Lake Wall and Paul Pack. Um, so... I have experienced that, but kind of the shift in, in just like everyday eating, everyday cooking, you know, versus the city, the city versus moving. You, to you mean in terms of stuff that you can actually buy from places as opposed to what we're doing in our homes? I want to know about all of that. But, right. you know, so we talked about this shift over the past two or three years, you know, more people being in a location at, at some point is going to start to translate into more food options or more people wanting to create food for the new people that are arriving. Yeah, yeah and, kind and, of. Or for, yeah. The, or for the weekenders, at least. Or for, right. or for so those was, people. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a really simple thing. For the new, for the couple of restaurants that have started up, the two or three, four restaurants that have started up over the past three or four years, it's a weekend business because, you know, the whole farm-to-table movement, uh, uh, yeah, that whole farm-to-table movement is um, predicated upon, of course, local produce, local whatever, which if you're sourcing that material, local meat, all this, you're going to have to charge uh, such a premium to be able to put it. That, this is food that a lot of people up there, most people up there, couldn't afford to buy mm-hmm. at retail to put on their own plate at home. If you've got to charge a markup on top of that as well, because we're buying it at the, same, at the same price as you would buy it from the shop. Because these are like small producers yep. who are like, well, this is what I sell it for, whether I sell it to a restaurant or whether I sell it to Bob in the corner. And I only have so many people to sell it to yeah, and I'm so not, much. Yeah, product. I only have this many pounds a year. I'm not going to cut it in half because you just happen to call yourself a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So you're doing that, then you've got to put a markup on top of that. So somebody, you know, there's only so many people and certainly in the middle of the week, like zero people who are going to go up and, um, I don't know, pay 20 bucks for a burger. That's just like, that's not okay you know or in our case mm-hmm. $15 for a pizza you this know. is that table on yeah, 10 this is, yes, tell, yeah yes elaborate on on table on 10 a little bit and well table on 10 was uh, table on 10 is uh, a restaurant run by uh, owned run everything by my friend Inez and um, and I think it was one of the first 
one of the one of the first restaurants up there to kind of do that thing semi-accidentally i mean i don't want to overtell her story because she should tell her own story um but you know the restaurant was formed out of a need uh not for a restaurant but for a need for her to find something to do in an environment where there's no work uh you know you're going to end up if you're a man and you move up there and you don't uh, you move up there and you're a painter you're going to quick or not a house painter but like an artist you're going to quick because you move up there because there's so much space and you're finally going to have all of the freedom to be able to express yourself a year later you're putting sheetrock up in people's houses or whatever because that's the that's the work mm-hmm. that's available uh and for women you know you're probably working in a shop or maybe working in a restaurant or maybe cleaning people's houses weekenders houses or whatever those are the things that are needed so bearing in mind Ines was at the time I don't know 29 or something and European and you know amazing strong woman and all this kind of stuff there comes a point where she's moved up there you know uh, semi accidentally like a good idea or whatever but then you're there and you're like well what am I going to do am I going to take one of those jobs or am I going to or am I going to do something for myself mm-hmm. and so a connection some you know vague sideways connections to uh the food industry through 4 and 20 blackbirds and you know just friends uh and saying like well shit you know what maybe I should just make maybe I should just start something really basic up again nobody's got any money so what the hell can i afford i don't know this building on the corner of bloomville which is a kind of unprepossessing village in the middle of nowhere serve some decent coffee maybe make a sandwich like i no background in the food industry or whatever but like i think i know how to make a sandwich that i would like to eat so i can't be the only person who would want to eat the same you know there must be somebody else who wants to eat it too and it kind of grew out of a need for her to have that identity um and to have a job and to have a job that didn't require being on your hands and knees with a with a with a scrub brush you know uh and that developed fairly quickly because she had an idea in the beginning because we had lots of friends up there who were doing cool things who were growing cool things who were experts on some kind of mushroom or whatever i mean there's a lot of weird freaks up there who yeah. really have arcane knowledge about shit but have never it's never been galvanized into a, so you, you just go around to their house and you're like Oh my god, you do this and I'm like, yeah, I just can't do it for myself. So she was able to become a kind of lightning rod for people to come out and a set of skills and a set of growing producers or that kind of stuff to put that all on the table in the middle of that and it kind of caught fire. Because partly I think, like, hey, I don't want to overtell her story, but I think even from an outside perspective, I think part of the reason that it caught fire was um was partly it's it's apparent futility i think people are very you know good ideas are very really good ideas are really really close to being really bad ideas mm. ideas that are around somewhere in the middle that anybody would think you know an idea that your bank manager would think <laughs> is a good idea is probably not that good an idea you know <laughs> the really good ideas are like right there at the you know where good idea yeah. meets, meets bad idea like an and, asymptotic like where inc- oh, what what was that i was asymptotic like an asym asymptot- are, are there two parts to that <laughs> ass <laughs> and a totem i and like the ass part i'm not so crazy about the totem <laughs> but you know on a graph where um no you're yeah. approaching a point but you're not quite get there yeah. but at the end of that point the point of where incandescence meets futility maybe yeah exactly well you know what it does burn very brightly there i mean i think what happened at that point maybe when i was a little bit involved too is within that futility there was nothing to lose mm-hmm. just nothing you didn't you hadn't acquired anything there was no heat you know there was no heating system in the building there was no i mean there's just nothing to lose and so when you're in that crucible and there's two or three of you in that crucible where you're like Well, we can tell any story. We can burn as brightly as we want to burn. That is incandescent. Mm. And as soon as you become inca- as soon as you start laughing hard and as, you, as soon as you start like skipping around and people driving by, I don't mean literally people dr- driving by, but you know, people moving past your life, look across and they're like, whatever it is those people over there are doing, mm-hmm. I kind of want to do something like that or I want to I don't well I mean there is that there's a whole bunch of people who are like why can't I start a restaurant or whatever but also And then pe- sometimes they do. Right. But then also people just start turning up. 
They're like, I don't know what your sandwich is. And maybe you only have two sandwiches. And maybe I've eaten it 10 times over here. But you know what? It's kind of fun to be around an energy where you guys look like you're loving the journey that you're on. Not necessarily that you're loving the food. or There was nothing to do with... Uh, you know, that stuff that annoys me a little bit about the food industry down here, about it being about the food. It was just about the love. It was just about... Uh, we. Uh, if there'd been another activity to do, I, I don't know, that paid some money being in a play, um, being professional ping-pong players, I don't know. If you could have done that and got people to come by and give you eight bucks for, for what you did, we would have done that. The point was the love. There is that ping-pong bar in Oneonta, if you just drive a little further, right? There is? You know, where you fire the ping-pong balls oh, out of your... out of your vagina? Yes. Yes. Well, you. I, you course, don't have I, of one. course, can't. I know, and that's, that's one of my major regrets, actually. Um, whoa, what? Stay so you... <laughs> oh, oh, so listen, let me... Sorry, I took us on that tangent, but let me just bring that back a little bit. Yeah. People were... And I've been going up there for four years now. Oh, is that only four years? I think it's been about Man, four years. Kim's I, I, probably, I feel like I've known you a lifetime, Kim. Kim's probably one I'm of those new people that you were referring to in a way. Well, she, well I was one of the people that was drive, like literally driving yeah. by. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I looked in yeah. and I started coming in and it became a place where people gathered and it was clear it was about the energy. And that's what attracted me to it. Um, and you guys just looked like you were having the most fun. But, you know, in the last, in the intervening years since I've been coming up, whether driving or taking the bus. Are you about to say less so now? No. I mean, you hear about people and, you know, I know you experience this who want to book the B&B upstairs during the off days because, or they're Booking yeah, weekends in advance because they've heard about the food and they're coming because of the food. Yeah, yeah. And it is about mm-hmm. the food now, Of course. For yeah. better or for worse. Well, it's not, ju- yeah. Well, it's partly about the food, but I actually, I would take issue with that a little bit because I actually still think there's a thing that I've noticed. Which I is, guess what I'm saying is people that I meet down here who sure. have heard about it, that's, but we're also in a particular milieu of the. Yeah, food scene okay, in New York but, City. Yeah, but there's a there's an evolution mm-hmm. to, to 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 the food. You know, I mean, part of the reason that um, the part of the reason even heard about it at all is because you know fairly quickly on the back of lighting of extremely unlikely light in the dark. You know, you're flying over in a plane. You're like, what the hell is that? We could have done this in Brooklyn and it would have been eclipsed in a second. Nobody would have noticed because there's a thousand other people doing exactly the same thing. So it's just a wall of light underneath you when you're on the plane. We, you're flying over the darkness and you see this thing, you're like, well, I've got to go there. So we had that. So fairly, fairly quickly on the back of that, um, of course, the press become interested mm. because people have got to find stories to fill stupid magazines full of junk, you know? Oh, we hate those darn magazines. Well, come on. Come on. No, 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 no. Come on. Come on. There's, there's like waves and waves of trivial product that needs to be... That, that there's a there's a there's a trivial dinosaur that need, that has a big diet that has to keep, yeah, well, that needs well, has a mean, big appetite. There's also a need. There's you know I think we are so inclined to to be like oh the Hamptons mm, that's over you know oh Montauk it's of already course. over and we we need to be on to the next thing. We don't want to be the only person there. But sure. we don't want everyone there. Okay. So that's what people are searching for, I okay. think. And that potentially is, is kind of the situation that you're describing in one way or another. Right. So you've got the New York Times, first of all, you know, they come up, they, they're wandering around looking for someone. They're like, oh, so this thing goes on. And then suddenly it's Master Stewart Living. Then it's Condé Nast Traveler. And, you know, they're all, you know, thank God for them because, uh, because the place would never have survived without, w- without their advocacy. Um, but they are like, you know, they all flock over here and then they all flock over here and we can watch like when we've gone off the boil a little bit, they all move over here or whatever. <laughs> but it was really, really beneficial. So in the end, you're right. What they report about has to be, they can give hints to the fact that there's a, that there's a magic going on. Mm. But how do you write that down on columns of stuff right. that's in a food yeah. magazine or a travel magazine? Go got, for the vibe. Yeah, you've got a bunch of ladies in, in, in Des Moines who want to read about the, the chicken pot pie or whatever the fuck it is. So they have to do it in that way. So inevitably that's going to end up with your person that's receiving that information mm. being like, oh, I went because of the food. The truth is that the ingredients that go into dumping that food on the table, and let's face it, it's pizza. I mean... Inez is like a wonderful pizza order, but let's not, this whole thing of like who's doing the best pizza, it's, it's like a disc of carbohydrate with some stuff on top of it. You know? <laughs> um, 
Uh oh, this is. Are they gonna? Roberta, oh, oh, we're not allowed to say it. Roberta's, Roberta's let us out They're here. actually breaking the plate glass window right <laughs> yeah. now. You know, the what? lady with the check in her teeth. Just so you know, Roberta, what you've through. got out there is a whole lot of carbohydrate and some junk that you got from the supermarket. Um, <laughs> no, sorry, from local farms. No, but local. They I, grew it right lo- in this backyard. From your own backyard. Right. I, I mean, definitely on. Right. I know. I know. I know. I know. Fertilize with your own feces. Right. And it's grown <laughs> in a shipping container here in right. scenic Bushwick. I know. It's so cool. I've definitely done the price chopper run to Delhi to get extra salad. Totally. Greens, of know? course. You're like we run out of salad greens. You got to get it from wherever the hell you got to get it from. But what I was going to say is the mm. ingredients that go into putting it in Condé Nast Travel or Travel Measure or whatever is the magic still if we i've noticed that if that, that if table on 10 stops telling its story and inevitably trying to spin your story endlessly when you don't have you know because in the beginning there's a lot of new story and mm-hmm. you know once you've once you do have something to lose which came at the end of a year or a year and a half you start becoming a, a little bit more conservative about your story you know everybody is um uh, nobody likes burning shit you know even though we know even from our agricultural mm-hmm. metaphors or whatever that you know, you gotta you gotta make a mess out of the land every now and then of stuff that was so valuable to you last mm-hmm. year. As human beings, we tend to be acquisitional and we tend to acquire. And the idea of actually tossing some shit overboard that worked last year is tough to do. So you tend mm. to just fill the boat up with more and more stuff. Um, and so I've noticed that when we stop telling our story, uh, it's a delayed reaction. Mm-hmm. But when you run out of juice a little bit and you're like. Ugh, the story's not that different from what it was three months ago or whatever. So less posts come out, less mm-hmm. stuff, less singing and dancing, less of the theater aspect of like, this is a piece of theater because that's what a restaurant like that is. Definitely. It's a, it's a, it's a play every week. We're the peasants dressing up in Morris dancing gear. I mean, we're not really <laughs> what we appear to be. We're a bunch of like hipsters or aging hipsters or whatever we are getting up there and we're doing a song and dance routine. And people are very drawn to that, you know. But when you start to drop that and start to think, you know what, it's actually about the food. If we start to think that, that's the beginning. That's a that's the beginning of a taking yourself too seriously, mm-hmm. and b forgetting that it's not about the product. It's about it's not about the it's not about the end. It's about the means. Mm-hmm. I think no rest. In my opinion, a restaurant could have the most incredible food in the world, but if the atmosphere and the vibe that it creates is, is not good, it, it can't survive. Even that, though, you know how that there's something that presupposes that. There's so much uh, emphasis that goes into vibe, almost like it could be prepackaged. Like, well, how are we going to, like, looking at our walls over here or whatever. You know, there's all of that going in. Even that doesn't really matter. It's about the spirit of the people. Yeah, it's about the energy that's created within yeah. that room. Yeah, and that's, yeah but a, a lot of how that is translated to other people is through storytelling sure. and how you frame it. It's all sure. storytelling. And, you know, it, it being all storytelling has been a through line of the conversations that we've had yeah. over the years. That's one thing that is not done well. You know, it's a thing that's for, you know, without wanting to get into some Joseph Campbell, you know, whatever. The, the storytelling has... Good storytelling has fallen into disuse. Mm. We've become used to it with Instagram and all these yep. other things. We've been used to be able to being able to like press a button, put up a picture of a persimmon or something, and then everybody like. But it's pathetic. and then you're celebrated as a visual. Yeah. You know what? It's no different from some lady who used to collect Hummel figurines. It's that inane. <laughs> That's how inane it is. That's like literally my entire family. Okay. By the way. Okay, but now. they all collect Hummels. <laughs> my my great aunt had an amazing. Hummel collection. Hey, at least that required them to go out and like find one in some in, <laughs> in, in like a thrift store somewhere. She had a story behind each one, actually. But the inanity in the food industry of putting up poorly executed, ill thought out pictures of pretty shit that is literally just pretty. And we have friends who are developed, intelligent, cultured human beings. Who are, you know, who are dumping some seeds and three petals on the thing. And, like, you know, it's trivial. I now, was hoping we were going to get into this. Actually. Well, I was, and I was also hoping that uh, you would talk a little bit about how you look at this through the lens of working in the photo industry yeah, as an exactly. agent for years exactly. and years. Hey, you know, when, when Instagram started in the beginning, I actually said to my photographers, like, we can't go anywhere near that because you're so, um, you're so corrupting your brand 
by trivialising it and sticking it up on this stupid thing where alongside somebody else who's got their, you know, kitten giving birth or whatever, you know. But I was wrong. I was totally wrong because the, uh, it didn't even feel purist at the time. It just felt like this would be a mistake. But the truth is, those pe- had I encouraged my photographers on day one, they would have been... Because Instagram is really simple. It's just cumulative followers, you know? So had I encouraged them on day one, they would, they would have become people who had 250,000, 500,000, 750,000 followers, if they'd been in on the, in the beginning, they had the material or whatever, and they know how to do the trivial pictures, and they know how to have, you know, a guy jump off a rock or no, you can't have humans. They know how to do things that don't have humans in them, um, that would have made it work. And the truth is, that would have been good for their careers, even though it's a, a, an abomination in terms of making anything when we pretend that it has anything to do with art. It would have been good for their careers because we all know people, and I don't want to be insulting here. Mm. <laughs> because you know, and I would never name names. Yeah, I gotta be a bit careful. But um, we know that, so, that a certain uh, that a certain demographic within the kind of Instagram photography world got to the place that they're at, not necessarily because of being visionary photographers, but simply because at a certain point, you are a very valuable marketing tool to a. Um, to somebody who wants you to promote their product because you have a million followers. So, and going to a, going to an advertiser, you know, Mm. being an agent, going to an advertiser and saying, you should use this person. Their work is really good. And they're like, yeah, but if we use this person over here, we pay them the same amount of money and we get the benefit of them, of, of, of a million, of a million targeted, really specific targeted mm-hmm. followers. They're like, we're going to go with this one. It's the same reason why I don't even know anymore, but I hear from casting people or whatever that, you know, models, the number of followers that models have is very, very important mm-hmm. in terms of whether you're going to cast them in a thing or whatever because because they're their own marketing tool now. So how do we, where do we start on that? Instagram, something, Why do you photography. Think, yeah, why do you think... We're so fascinated with food photography and on, you know, on Instagram of, of people. Why are we interested in like what people have had for breakfast, lunch and dinner and where they ate and, and creating that scene? Like what, what's behind that in your opinion? Mm, I don't, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but I mean, you know, it's very easy. Um, I mean, it's definitely a fetish and it's definitely the sign of a culture that is, I think, or I feel like it's a sign of a culture that is, um, uh, that's not very engaged in any other way, like a bored culture. There isn't great work going on in other places or whatever. So it's a fetish. It's a it's it's easy access to a kind of, uh, you know, the photography of it or whatever is definitely a fetish. But even the food thing. I mean, why have we? Why the the arcana of 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 like what you're putting in your mouth? It's fuel. You know. I mean, and it's nice. To, to taste things that taste nice, but going so far up the butthole of... of, So now everybody is an expert on so-and-so or nose-to-tail, whatever the hell it is, or whatever. Of course, it's a debased currency at a certain point. It is a debased currency at this point. But it's also about, like, you know, someone taking an Instagram photo of their dinner party and being like, you know, instead of being in the moment of enjoying this party and who they're with, they're... You know, I'm not excluding myself from this. Right. <laughs> Don't right. get me Put wrong. Camera Put but it. right, <laughs> but you know, just thinking why? about the human psyche. Why do we want other people who are not there because we're to narcissists. see what we're doing? Okay, because we're narcissists. Because we and live in a our, deeply this narcissistic is our own culture. Man, this is our like the new manis- manifestation of being a narcissist. We never had that before. We never had easy. <clears throat> access to being able to open a window onto every stupid-ass corner of our lives from where we took a poo to whatever. We didn't have that before. You would have had to find a, a creative way to express that. You might have actually had to tell a story or sing a song or do something. You would have had to draw attention to yourself. Someone walked into your living room and said, with this object in your hand, you can let a thousand people know whether you just farted. And... And what happened? You'd think. In, remember in the beginning, there's a bunch of people who were, most of us in the mm-hmm. beginning would have all said, well, I'm never going to do that. It's fucking absurd. And what did we? And now we all do it. I do it. I'm sitting here railing against it, but I do it. And then 
after I've done it, you know, if I'm, especially if I'm traveling or in some foreign mm-hmm. country, I need that affirmation. Right. You need to see how many likes you got. It's burning in my pocket if I've just done something. And it's absurd. I'm like, I'm railing against this whole thing. But I do feel affirmed when, uh, when a picture gets X amount of, it's totally fucking absurd. I don't mm-hmm. know who these people are or, uh, but why? And it has a corrosive effect. Because you can pile, because now there's multiple ways to do that. So you can fill the little space of real creativity is a very, very precious little germ. And it needs to be massaged. It's like a, it's like a little prostate. <laughs> and you, you, heard it, of you heard and it fear. You heard it how far you have creativity. to go up there. Yeah. And prostate. Yeah, you gotta get your thumb up there, you gotta get you gotta like <laughs> you, you gotta, really gotta go work at it. it. This okay. is a family show. So mm-hmm. if you waste if you if you take that juice, and I know I do this, I know there are points where I need to take on something of consequence. Are we gonna stop? Soon. Oh, well, two more minutes. Okay, okay. Just you gotta take going. you gotta take on something of consequence. That's hard. That requires stamina, that requires you're gonna go for it or whatever. You could do it. Or you could take that moment when you're like, now I'm looking at the blank page, I've got to write, I've got to do some stuff. You could do a couple of posts, a couple of things or something, and it's gone. And it's been wasted on, on, on junk. Mm. And you can fill day after day after day after day doing right. that without ever really taking on the shit. Yeah, well, we'll be posting an Instagram photo of us in the studio shortly. shortly. So just make sure you get on there and like it and, 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 <laughs> and then comment. The rest, your, the, hey. the rest of your day's gone. But hey, the other thing is, even though we are in this narcissistic culture with limited cultural production, actually, there's incredible stuff being produced out there right now. From theater to rap music, opera, poetry. Sure, that will always Political persist. writing. That will always persist, of course. Thank God. So, maybe we can talk about, instead of looking at food photos... We can't. We have a minute. Yeah, okay. But what, <laughs> what, what are you reading? What would you like to be reading? What would you suggest people take? What would you suggest people take a look at instead well, of five course. minutes on Instagram? Yes. Well, of course. You got 30 seconds. Of course, it'd be the same thing as everything else, which is you've got to take on work that's a little bit difficult. Of course you should be reading. I mean, that goes without saying. Any smart person in the world knows that you should be sitting reading books. You so should what be... should they, what's, what's one book that you would recommend to our readers that oh. we can... No, it doesn't have to be a book. No, I couldn't Not go there. That's all, I just want, okay, all I'm saying. Thing. All I'm saying is that you need to take on stuff that is a little bit difficult. Like you know, I took on opera as a as a conscious choice five or six years ago when I was going through a crisis because it was fucking difficult and because you're like, you know, am I ever going to do? And it felt like a time where I'm like, I can put this on in the house. It's going to annoy me. I don't understand it or whatever. But maybe if I just fucking persist and I'm in a, a naked enough state now emotionally that I can actually treat this like a you know like Shakespeare. There's a bunch of gobbledygook until it isn't. All right. And once you cross over onto the other side, you're like, oh, my God, like the secret of being a human being is all contained in here. But it's a code. You got to like work. And opera mm-hmm. is exactly the same. People come to me. They're like, it's a horrible noise. And I'm like, you got to get on the other side. But it might take you two years to get on the other side. And they're like, well, I don't have time to give two years. I want to go and listen to another singer, songwriter, Bonnie Prince, Billy bullshit, you know, that I've been listening to forever and ever and ever. Take something on. Like. That's what I would say. I would say take on a piece of reading that you knew you should have taken on at some point. You always knew that you were supposed to read Anna Karenina. It's a struggle, you know. The first 300 pages or the first 100 pages uh, <laughs> are, are really, really difficult. But you know what? When you find the juice, when you tap into the juice, it's, this shit's life-changing. Listening endlessly to Bonnie Prince Billy and Instagramming and being on uh, Facebook is not life-changing. You know, either go out and have a baby or do something that is that is really going to throw you out of the center of your own mm-hmm. tiny little world. If you're not going to have babies, then, fucking, then go and take on something that, that is scary or, or that, that's not easy to understand or that's loud or, right. or troublesome. All right. You heard it here first on Recommended <laughs> Reading with Food Book Fair. You're tasked with either having a baby Listening to opera or reading Anna Karenina. You choose. You you make your choice. I write may... in. Everybody write in who wants to have a baby. <laughs> I could do it, but I can only do it by mail order in little plastic bags. <laughs> Guys, this is an incredible this might be a limited use offer. So, can you imagine getting that in the in the mail? You might have to put it little bags in of like, semen. I think they freeze uh, that these days. Uh, they probably do. Like yeah. The, well, you know. yeah, yeah. I could put it in the fridge. Perfect. We'll continue this when we come on. Uh, Oh, the, the tickler. tickler. Yes, we've got to have you back weeks. up for the tickler. We'll, we'll take a deeper dive. Uh, yeah, no, it's like a big colonic, like a really deep colonic. 
Thank you, Julian. (laughs) Again, don't forget, we love Heritage Radio Network, and you can support shows just like this one if you go to heritageradionetwork.org and click on that beating heart to become a member and make sure that more conversations like these stay on the airwaves. (laughs) People in a woman. Thank you, Kim. Thanks, Amanda. Thanks, Julian. Hey, thanks, guys. And remember, this is Recommended Reading yes. with Food Book Fair. And you can check out Food Book Fair at, on our website, foodbookfair.com, and find us on all social channels at Food Book Fair. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to us about what you thought about the show and uh, any reading that you think we should be doing. Don't forget to write in. Till next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.